Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Dr. Bill Takesta Education Series brought to you by the Braille Institute. I'm very, very pleased tonight that we're going to talk about some of the more common causes of vision impairment among children, and that includes congenital cataracts and glaucoma. This podcast is also being recorded by Airs LA, where all of our podcasts are available for you to listen to, and you can do that by simply going to www.airsla.org. And these podcasts are also available at the Braille Institute website at www.brailleinstitute.org. So if there's other topics related to children's vision, vision development, and even how to cope with having a child with vision problems, you could see some of the other previous podcasts that we've done, and we hope that it'll be helpful. Now this evening, uh, we hope that this is something that is clear for all of you because we're having a bit of a technical difficulty on our end with our telephone conference call service. There's a little bit of an echo but uh, I understand that on the recording, uh, it seems to not be there. So the first thing that I'm going to talk to you about this evening is congenital cataracts. Now, many of us have heard of the term cataracts, but a lot of people misconstrue what a cataract actually is. Many people often think that a cataract is a film that covers the front of the eye, while other people get cataracts and glaucoma confused. Well, to understand what is a cataract, it's really important to understand the anatomy of the eye. The way that the eye is designed is that light is designed to enter the eye through the pupil. Now, the pupil is the black circle that you'll see if you're looking at your eye in a mirror. Your eye may be blue or green or brown, but you'll notice that in the very center of the colorful area, which is called the iris, is a black circle, and that is called the pupil. And that black circle is literally a hole that allows light to enter your eye. Now, immediately behind the pupil is a lens, and this is a lens that changes its shape and it allows us to focus at different distances. So, for example, if you're a newborn baby and you're going to look at your mother's face, who's about 8 to 12 inches away, that crystalline lens inside the eye behind the pupil, it will change shape and it will then allow the baby to focus on mom's face. And if the baby then is going to focus across the room at the television or an older child to focus on the chalkboard, that lens changes shape again, and it will then focus on the chalkboard. So this is the way that humans are able to see objects clearly at different distances is because there is this crystalline lens inside the eye. Now, the crystalline lens, the way that it changes its shape, is that there is a circular muscle that will pull and contract, and that is how we can adjust the focus. 
Now, the crystalline lens is basically then going to focus the light rays that come through it to focus it on the retina, which is analogous to the movie screen of the eye. So we could think about going to the movie theater and the projectionist who's up in the back of the movie theater will adjust the focus so that the movie appears focused on the movie screen. Well, that is the same thing that the crystalline lens and that muscle does. It will then alter the way that the light rays or the picture focuses on the retina, which is our movie screen. Now, when we think about the development of the human eye, the human eye develops very, very early right after conception. What we know is that by the time that the embryo is 11 weeks old, we're talking about less than three months of pregnancy, that many of these structures within the eye are developed. And what's also very, very interesting about these different tissues of the eye is that they are derived from what are called different embryonic tissue. Some of this embryonic tissue comes from the nerves and the nervous system, such as your brain and your spinal cord, whereas other embryonic tissues are coming from different tissues such as the skin, the hair, and the fingernails. And the reason that this is very, very important when we talk about cataracts is that the crystalline lens that is developing in that embryo, that material is derived from different embryonic tissue as compared to other parts of the retina or the screen that we talked about. So what's the significance of that? Is that if a child is born with a cataract or if a child suffers from an injury, maybe perhaps that the child is born with a forceps delivery or maybe that an older child is playing soccer and gets kicked in the head with a soccer ball, it is possible that the crystalline lens in the eye, it can pop or explode and if it does pop and explode and the tissues within the crystalline lens they float throughout the rest of the eye and interact with the retina or other structures of the eye it can cause a very severe inflammatory response and this is something that is called sympathetic ophthalmoplegia so when this happens, the human's eye will release all of these antibodies that will then attack the crystalline lens and it causes an extreme inflammatory response and this can cause severe pain and the inflammation could be such that the eye has to be removed. So it's very important to understand that the development of the crystalline lens, it occurs very early on in life, and because it is a different embryonic tissue, injuries, or if the cataract explodes, it can lead to such a severe condition that the person's eye can undergo severe inflammation and the eye would have to be removed. So, what is a cataract? 
a cataract by definition is when that crystalline lens that is behind the pupil, it is not perfectly clear. It is cloudy or it is milky or it looks even brown. And when it has this type of opacity or color to it, light cannot pass through that lens very well. And as a result, the image that focuses on the retina is very, very blurred. We could think of this as being analogous to if somebody put mud or they got white spray paint and they sprayed it on your windshield while you're driving, you would not be able to see clear enough and that would affect your vision. Now, for young children, there's different possible causes that the lens can become cloudy and develop the cataract. Number one, there are what are called congenital inherited cataracts. And if there is a mother or a father who was also born with a cataract, there's a good chance that the child could be born with the same type of cataract. This type of a cataract is often inherited in a dominant trait. So in other words, if mom or dad, either one of them, has that gene that causes a cataract and the baby inherits that gene, the baby will develop a cataract. Now there's different levels of severity of these types of cataracts. Sometimes it may be very mild, and other times it may be so severe that the child is totally blind. Another form of a cataract early on at birth can be related to other types of birth defects of the eye. One particular type of defect is called aniridia. That is spelled A-N-I-R-I-D-I-A. This is a condition where the iris, the colorful part of your eye, is not developed normally, and also it affects the development of the lens, which is right behind the pupil. So these children may have a cataract, and that can then blur their vision. A third cause of cataracts in young children can be related to different types of metabolic disorders. Some children may just have the abnormal metabolic process and they may not have those appropriate types of amino acids that allow the lens to be clear. In some cases, it may be that a person might be receiving different types of supplemental injections and this can possibly increase the clarity of that lens. Another type of reason that a child may have cataracts at birth, it may also be related to trauma. If a child has a very, very complicated birth and the doctor is using a forceps and they grab too hard, it is possible that type of rough trauma can cause a cataract. As could something as simple as a child falling out of a crib or falling off of a couch, that kind of a trauma can cause a cataract to become clouded. Now, the most important thing is to diagnose the cataract as soon as possible. Most pediatricians 
are able to look inside the eye and they could determine if a child has a cataract. Parents also can identify if a child has a cataract by either A, just looking at the pupil of the child's eye, and if the pupil does not seem to be perfectly black. It may be that it seems a little bit of a grayish appearance or a little bit of a whitish appearance. Anytime that a parent observes that, they need to go to see the eye doctor immediately because it is also possible that if you observe a whitish color in the black pupil, that can also be a different disease, which is called retinoblastoma. And retinoblastoma is a very, very dangerous, cancerous tumor that is inside the eye. And it's very important that this tumor is treated as soon as possible because if you wait a day or a week, the cells of this cancerous tumor can spread throughout the body and it can cause death. Another way that parents may also notice that their child may have a cataract is that if you take a photograph of your child and you've noticed that when you take comb photographs, and you develop the picture or you look at it on your computer screen, very often there's going to be a red pupil. And that is because the light from your camera brass, it will go into the eye and it reflects off of the red retina. And when the red light bounces back, you will see a red glow in the pupils of the eyes. Well, when you look at those pictures, if you ever notice that there is a shadow appearance or a dark area, then that can also be a cataract. A third way that you may identify that your child or a child that you work with has a cataract is by simply looking at the baby's eyes. And if the eyes tend to shake from side to side constantly, this is called nystagmus, N-Y-S. T-A-G-M-U-S. Now, some children may have nystagmus, and that can be an indication that there is a cataract, or it could be that there's another problem with the eye itself. But it's also important to remember that there are some people, adults and children, who have nystagmus, but they have perfect vision. So observing nystagmus does not necessarily mean that there is a problem, but it is a sign that it's possible that the child may have a cataract or another eye problem and that they should be examined. Now you might say, when should a child really be examined? All children should have their first examination by an eye doctor, not the pediatrician, but by an eye doctor who specializes in children by six months. Now, the reason that this is so important is that there are situations in which the pediatrician did not identify the cataract or any other type of problem. And it's very important that for any visual problem of a child, including a cataract, we want to treat it as soon as possible so that the brain will receive the proper stimulation. 
if a child is born with a cataract due to any one of these causes that I described, what happens is that the image that focuses on the retina is very blurry. When the retina sees a very blurred image, it sends very distorted signals to the brain, and as a result, the visual centers of the brain in the occipital lobe of the brain, the very back, those cells in the occipital lobe of the brain do not get stimulated maximally. And in other words, it's almost though we are depriving this child of visual food. And if we do not provide the child with the maximum visual stimulation within the first five years of life, it's very possible that these children will be legally blind. On the other hand, if we identify that the child has a cataract or an other type of problem, they may need glasses or they may need better lighting, we could then provide the correct treatment, provide the visual stimulation, and teach the family how to provide the visual stimulation, and that will then result in the brain receiving the maximum stimulation so that the child will have the highest level of functional vision possible. Now, what do we know about congenital cataracts in terms of the treatment? The most common treatment for congenital cataracts is that in most cases, the children will benefit from having the cataract removed. And this type of a surgical procedure is performed by pediatric ophthalmologists, and it is a procedure that is extremely successful. When I was going to UCLA and learning how cataract surgery is performed, literally half of the eye was cut open. I mean, it was very, very difficult to watch to see the eye being cut open that way. But today, for children and adults, they do not have to do that type of a large incision. What they will do is they will put the baby to sleep, they put anesthetic eye drops on the eye, and there is a probe that they can poke into the eye and it will take out this cataract. Now the cataract, it is a little bit smaller than a plain M&M. So often when it comes out, it looks like a yellow M&M, or it could look like a brown M&M, or a white M&M. And the time that it takes the surgeons to remove this lens, it's generally between 15 to 30 minutes. In other words, they could do this surgery faster than we can examine the child. Now, after that lens is out of the child's eye, the child no longer has the ability to shift the focus from far to near. So we need to prescribe glasses or contact lenses or give the child an implant. Now, in the old days, it was always where all the babies would be fit with these very, very thick glasses. But today, we have special lens materials now where the lenses could be much thinner and much lighter. 
and we will put what is called a bifocal in the lens so that the child could look at distance objects and look at things in his or her hands and see it clearly. An alternative treatment is that we may then also fit a child with a pair of contact lenses. So a child could be fit with the contact lenses, and these contact lenses will focus the child's eyes to see at objects 10 feet and farther away. And then they can wear a pair of bifocal glasses over the contact lenses to allow them to see things that are within their arm's reach. Now, the advantage of having a contact lens as compared to the bifocal glasses, the first option that we talked about, is that the contact lens will give the child sharper peripheral vision, better ability to see things off to the side. And number two, even though we could make glasses much thinner today, the contact lens really is something that looks very nice. Cosmetically, the child's glasses will look very, very, very thin. And for many children, the contact lenses can provide better vision than the glasses. But the negative about the contact lens is that for some parents, it's a little bit intimidating or they're a little bit afraid to put the contact lens on their child. You can imagine trying to put a contact lens on a one-month-old. But what we do is we teach the parents how to put the contact lens on the child's eye while the child is still sleeping. So if the child normally wakes up at 7 o'clock in the morning, we ask the parents to put the contact lens on at 6 in the morning or 6.30, and the child will still usually sleep through it, and they do very, very well. Now, the third option is the implant. We now have the ability to insert an artificial lens to replace the natural cataract lens that was removed. So in this case, by putting an artificial implant lens, the child does not have to have the thick glasses. They don't have to have a contact lens but they still need to have a bifocal because the implant only focuses at one distance. Now, the negative about the implant is that for many children, their eye is still going to grow. And when the eye grows, their prescription changes. So the surgeons do not want to have to remove that implant and put in another implant so in many cases, the surgeons will delay using an implant until the child is a bit older. But in each one of these cases, by using glasses or a contact lens or an implant, the thing that's very important to remember is that, number one, in any one of these treatments, the child needs to have a bifocal in order for the child to be able to see up close. Number two, for every one of these cases, we recommend that the children wear glasses that are going to filter out the ultraviolet radiation. And the reason for this is that the natural lens of the eye 
it filters out the ultraviolet light. So when we remove the cataract, the child no longer has a natural filter of the ultraviolet radiation. Now, by giving the child the bifocal glasses, we could treat the lenses so it filters out the ultraviolet radiation and it will then protect the retina of the eye. It's also important to remember that in some children, if they have congenital cataracts, they may also be very sensitive to the bright light. And in those cases, we could treat the lenses also with a tint. So the ultraviolet coating, that is something that is perfectly clear and a child would wear clear lenses and it will still filter out the ultraviolet light. But if the child is also bothered by the bright direct sunlight, we will then use specific colored tints. It could be orange, brown, green, blue, or gray depending on other things that we test. So all in all, when we hear that a child is born with a cataract, as low vision optometrists, we're actually quite pleased because these children have some of the best prognosis. These children, if the cataract is corrected and removed at the appropriate time, and the child is then fit with the glasses or the contact lens or the implant, along with bifocals, before the age of three, these children will stimulate, the brain will become stimulated, and their vision develops quite well, and these children have a very, very good prognosis of using their vision for reading, writing, and performing their daily activities. Now, what about the situation where there are some parents who say, I'm very hesitant to have my child undergo this surgery? There is a very, very significant danger if the cataracts are not removed at the appropriate time. If cataracts continue to grow and get bigger every week, it has the chance that that cataract can become very difficult to remove during the surgical procedure. And when the ophthalmologist is trying to remove the cataract, and if it becomes too big, that cataract can then break and explode. And as we talked about earlier, the antibodies will come and attack all of that tissue in the eye, and it can cause a severe inflammation and it is even possible that the eye may have to be removed. So we want to educate parents that it's important that they don't wait too long. If the surgeon says that it's time to remove it, they should really respect that. Now, the other thing that we're going to talk about today is glaucoma. Now, glaucoma is something that is completely different than the cataract. Glaucoma is a condition in which the amount of fluid inside the eye is so high that it presses onto the nerve that sends information from the eye to the brain. That nerve is called the optic nerve. 
So when we think about the eyeball itself, it's important to understand that the eyeball is filled with a fluid, and this fluid is like water, and it is called aqueous. Now, this watery aqueous fluid is constantly being produced in the eye, and then it's constantly being drained. So you could almost think of this as that if you had your bathtub, you turned on the water, you're always putting water into the bathtub, and then you pull the drain, and the water is always draining out of the bathtub. In the perfect world, the amount of aqueous fluid that is being produced for the eye is going to be being produced at the same rate that it drains out. Now, in some children, before they're even born, the amount of aqueous fluid is too much and the fluid is not being drained out quick enough. As a result, the eye is very, very large. When you look at these children, the very front of their eye almost looks whitish. So for these children, they are born with congenital glaucoma. Now, when there is that much fluid inside the eye, as I said before, you could think of it similar to a water balloon, and you keep putting water in the balloon, and it's going to stretch and stretch and stretch that balloon, and it could almost put so much pressure that it could cause that balloon to burst. Well, the pressure of too much fluid in the eye, it damages the nerves inside the retina, and it then presses on the optic nerve. And the first thing that it causes, it causes the loss of peripheral vision. So when children or adults have glaucoma, because there is too much pressure, it first causes the loss of peripheral vision. So these children, it may be that their vision is better when they look straight ahead, but they don't see you approaching them from the side. Number two, when there is the loss of peripheral vision, it always causes reduced night vision. So these children may be very, very frightened in the dark, where they just can't see in the dark, or they may have what is called night blindness. If it's a fancy restaurant, they literally just cannot see. If they're trying to crawl, they bump into things because they don't see things that are off to the side or below them. So children who do have congenital glaucoma are often the children that are very delayed in crawling and walking because their reduced peripheral vision causes them to bump into things as they're trying to crawl and walk. Number three Children with glaucoma may then also have blurred vision. If the cornea, the very front part of the eye, has become very clouded because the pressure is so high, their vision may be even similar to looking through a shower glass door. Now, we see many children who do have a clouded cornea like that, and fortunately, the ophthalmologists are able to perform what is called a corneal transplant and where they can take a donated cornea, 
and they attach it and replace it with the clouded cornea, and this could really improve the vision of the children very, very significantly. Along with that type of a surgery, they also have the ability to prescribe medications, and it could be in the form of eye drops or a pill to lower the amount of fluid in the eye. And number two, there are also surgeries that will insert a small little type of tube that could help to drain the fluid from the eye. So the amazing thing about glaucoma is that the ophthalmologists have both medical and surgical techniques to reduce the pressure as soon as it has been identified that the child has glaucoma. The unfortunate thing about it, though, is that any of the damage that has occurred to the optic nerve, that type of damage is permanent. So if there's significant damage to the optic nerve and information isn't being sent from the eye to the brain, there is presently no treatment that's available for that. However, you may want to listen to the podcast we did last month about optic nerve hypoplasia with Dr. Mark Borchert. He is a neuro-ophthalmologist at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, and he has talked about the fact that they have identified what are called stem cells in the retina, and these stem cells have the capability of generating new optic nerve fibers. And this is what the researchers are working on. They are trying to figure out how to activate these stem cells to replace the damaged optic nerve fibers. And this is something that will really change the lives of so many people with glaucoma because it can potentially restore their vision. What's also just a tidbit of side information about this is that with a salamander, we know that you can cut the optic nerve of a salamander and they can regenerate their entire optic nerve. So we know that this is something that is able to be performed in the salamander and the researchers are really just trying to gain that information as to how to do this with humans. So with the glaucoma, the important thing again is that early on in life that it is going to be diagnosed. It is something that is best diagnosed by having an eye doctor look inside the eye of a child. The reason for it is that there are some cases that are mild, and when the newborn baby is born, the eyes look perfectly fine. But if you have an eye doctor look inside the eye, we could look at the optic nerve to see if there has been some damage. And at that point, we would then recommend medications and or possibly this type of surgery. Now, there was recently a paper that was published that really showed that there's a lot of benefits of having the surgery earlier on in life. One of the reasons for that is eye drops can be a nuisance to put in, and they can also be somewhat expensive. 
So many times we find that parents, they forget to put in the eye drops or they don't put in the eye drops properly. And if you don't use the medications properly, the pressure of the eye is going to increase because too much fluid is going to develop in the eye and it could cause further damage to the eye. So if there is surgery that eliminates the need in many cases of the parents to do anything with the exception of just bringing the child in for a follow-up evaluation. So in both of these particular types of cases, whether a child has cataracts or glaucoma, these are cases where if we diagnose it quickly, utilize the medical treatment, and then use low-vision optometrists to prescribe the visual aids, the visual stimulation, and glasses, these kids can do extremely well. So at this time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you if you have any questions, uh, you could unmute your phone by pressing star six, and I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. Okay, so if you have a question, press star six, and you could announce your name and ask a question. Thank you. Hi, Dr. Bill. It's Leslie Bayless from Northern California. Hi, Leslie. Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about aniridia, congenital aniridia, and kids? just explain a little bit more about that, please? Yes. Now, aniridia is a condition that it is a inherited condition in which the iris of the eye is not fully developed. So we know in these particular cases of these children with aniridia, the development of the eye very, very early after pregnancy, something has gone wrong. And with the aniridia, there's generally three things that are wrong with the eye. Number one, the iris is not developed. And when you look at these children, you first just think, my goodness, her eyes are so dark. And what you later then realize is that there is absolutely no iris there. You don't see the brown or the blue or the green iris, the colorful section of the eye. Number two, these children very often will have the cataracts. And immediately behind the cataract there is a region which is called the vitreous, and then immediately behind that is the retina that the images will focus on. Now, the third problem with aniridia is that they also have a underdeveloped macula of the retina. And that's very important because the macula is a part of the retina that gives us our detailed vision. So the child who has aniridia, <clears throat> they usually do have nystagmus, where their eyes shake from side to side. Number two, because they don't have an iris, too much light enters their eye, and they're very, very sensitive to the light. And then number three, their vision is very, very blurry. Their vision is usually on the order of 20 over 200 because the macula did not fully develop. Now, with aniridia, as these children get older, we do need to watch them very carefully because if they do not have a cataract, it's very possible that the cataract will develop. 
Number two, as they do get older, the drainage system of the eye gets clogged and they could also develop glaucoma. With aniridia, these are children who can have both the cataracts and the glaucoma and they need to be followed very, very carefully at least twice a year. Now with aniridia, the really good thing about it is that these children, they respond very well. If they do have a cataract and they do have the cataract removed, they could be fit with glasses and I find that these children usually do very, very well in the sense that they are visual readers and they use their vision to play sports and to perform daily activities. We also find that these are the children that respond very well to low vision aids. We can fit many of them with telescopic glasses and they have been able to uh, get their driver's license and we find that these children also seem to cope very, very well. I find that these kids, because of their high-level vision, they do very, very well in terms of interacting with their with their peers. Whereas, in contrast, there are other conditions where the children's vision is more significant, and when their vision is, is worse in that way, a lot of times they have a, a more difficult time fitting in. Okay, is there another question? Now, one of the things that a lot of people do ask about glaucoma, and uh, a lot of the teenage kids always ask this, and they say, Dr. Bill, can you write me a prescription for marijuana because of my glaucoma? And uh, the reality of it is that glaucoma is not treated as effectively with marijuana. In other words, you can take eye drops, and the eye drops will lower the pressure much better than uh, smoking marijuana or eating brownies with marijuana. So we very rarely are recommending marijuana for glaucoma treatment. Okay, great. Um, you know, it's really interesting. As we're finishing up here, I, I finally find that I think we lost the echo. So I think you're right. I know. Hey, Sue, would you like to make an announcement? This is Sue Parker Shravasi from Braille Institute who puts these together every month. And uh, I thank you for doing this, Sue. And you want to make some announcements then? Um, actually, uh, tonight, no, I think we, we uh, mentioned that we will be having a pediatric vision seminar at Braille Institute. Dr. Bill is kind enough to, to lecture for us, do a, do a lecture for us on common pediatric eye conditions on November the 18th. It will be from 9.30 to 1 if you're in the Southern California area. Um, we'll have information that will go out on Braille and Teach and also to our Southern California Versified Vision Network. Um, so um, stay tuned for that. That will be posted on our website. So um, I not tonight. I just, I'm so glad the echo is gone. I apologize to all of you who hung in there <laughs> before the echo. I think we have to talk to our, 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 um, our company and see if we can kind of solve any future problems. But we just want to thank you so much again for this all this wonderful information tonight, Dr. Bill. Yes, and thank all of you, and I'd especially like to thank Mr. Joe Yurka from Airs yes. LA for recording. And again, this will be up uh, probably early next week, and you can listen to this or share it with others at uh, www.brailleinstitute.org and www.airsla.org. 
So, you know, Dr. Uh, I have one more, just one more quick comment. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, the, to find the podcast, um, the best way to find it on the w, on Braille Institute's website is to click on Child Services, and in the sidebar, you'll see Telephone Education Series. I know some of you have had a hard time finding it. I just want to make sure you guys can, you know, to go to Telephone Education Series, click on that, and it'll take you right to the page. Okay, great, great. That okay. that'll be that'll be very very good. And uh, next month, next month, uh, I hope that you could participate too. We're going to be talking about some of the other types of retinal disorders that we do see among children, things other than retinopathy of prematurity. And we're going to have a, a special guest that will, will join me, and we'll talk about things such as uh, FEVR, PHPV, uh, retinoschisis. And some of these other types of things that really are, are quite common and they really affect the, the vision of children, but there's things we could do to help. So again, thank you so much everybody for participating tonight and we'll see you next month. Thank you. Thanks everyone. Thanks, Dr. Bill. Oh, thank you, Sue. Thank you, Joe. Okay. Dr. We'll Bill, good night. Good night, everybody.